The reading is Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, and can be found on page 1008 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and the page numbers for those are on the screen. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lydia, thank you for reading that. Uh, Do keep the passage open in front of you as we come to look at it. Uh, And we're going to pray as we do so. Heavenly Father, we've just heard that Jesus is our living waters. And we've just sung it. So uh, we pray that it would be true tonight, that we would see him. Amen. Uh, Let me begin by telling you about a painting. Uh, I know, very highbrow for a Sunday evening, isn't it? Uh, This is an unfinished um, painting that belongs in the family home of U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Martin Kober. Um, Now, he lives in New York. It's a 25-inch by 19-inch painting, uh, and it used to hang above his fireplace. Um, The family really liked it. It it kind of depicts, doesn't it, Um, Jesus being held up uh, by Mary, um, having been crucified with two angels uh, there supporting him. Uh, And the family had given this painting a nickname. They called it the Mike, uh, because there was this kind of legend that went through the family that had been uh, painted by Michelangelo. Uh, And so one day, the painting got knocked off the wall by a stray tennis ball. Now, now they don't say, but I imagine the kids got in a bit of trouble that day. Um, The painting got knocked off. uh, It was wrapped up for safekeeping and put behind the sofa. 27 years later, because you never quite get around to those odd jobs, uh, 27 years later, in 2003, they got the the painting back out from behind the sofa and decided to research a bit about it. So they found out that the painting was given to uh, Martin's sister-in-law, no, sorry, the sister-in-law of Martin's great-grandfather, and it arrived in America in 1883. But as they kept researching, they found the painting was far older. In fact, they researched further, and imagine their surprise when a letter in the Vatican said that it was painted by Michelangelo. In 1545, nearly half a century uh, after he sculptured the, uh, the Pieta, if that's how you say it. Ollie's going to correct me later. <laughs> uh, and he painted it for, for one of his friends. And so this painting, the Mike, 
that had just been hanging there on the wall and then stuffed behind a sofa for 27 years was actually a Michelangelo painting. And in 2010, when they found all this out, it was estimated to be worth $300 million. Now, why am I telling you this story? Sometimes we get so used to the things that are around us, we miss their, what they truly are, uh, and we miss their value. And I think that's exactly what's happened to the people in Mark chapter 6 that we've just read about. Um, they have the most valuable thing, a priceless person amongst them, and they miss who he is. And so Mark's putting this here, and we're beginning tonight this series in Mark's Gospel, uh, looking at this because we don't want to fall into this trap. Uh, Mark's, uh, the whole purpose of Mark's Gospel um, is kind of uh, summarized in Jesus' words in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of Jesus. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And that is why Mark is writing, so that his readers would repent and believe. Believe what? Well, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In fact, the whole gospel is structured um, around this. So he starts off uh, in the very first verse saying that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, Then at two crucial points as we go through the gospel, uh, people pick up um, on this. So firstly, uh, Peter, uh, in the middle of the gospel, declares Jesus to be the Messiah. And actually that's a turning point in the whole of Mark's gospel. Um, And we'll look at that a bit later in the term. Uh, And then right at the end of the gospel, uh, the centurion, as Jesus is being killed, says, surely this man is the son of God. So these two great proclamations sort of help us to structure the gospel. Uh, And then within that, Mark kind of has roughly two aims. The first is for us to see who is Jesus, and the second for us to see why did Jesus come. And we're going to abridge that kind of middle gap as we look at chapters 6 to 9 of uh, Mark this term. And the aim is for us to see Jesus. That's, as Paul said, our title of our series, Seeing Jesus. Maybe some of us for the very first time. Maybe some of us from, uh, be reminded because we just need to see him again and again and again. Seeing Jesus, who he is and why he came. And so tonight, uh, this passage uh, is going to help us to see how the, the people have the opposite view of who Jesus is, in the hope that we won't have that, in the hope that it will spur us on uh, to not let Jesus just be a painting that's stuck behind a sofa, but something that's up front and we see. So let, let's have a look. Um, we'll start by seeing in verses 1 to 4 how these people missed Jesus, missing who Jesus is. Um, So look at me at verse 1. 
Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. So if we track through um, Mark's gospel, Jesus has been traveling around, but he's got to the point where he's arrived in his hometown. Uh, and he, so he's walked in some familiar surroundings. I, I kind of like to imagine he's gone home for a nice home-cooked meal from mum. He's taken the disciples to see the highlights of Nazareth, uh, relived those kind of childhood memories that come flooding back to him. Um, but as the Sabbath comes, he does what he's always done uh, and goes to the local synagogue. Uh, but this time, rather than sitting in one of these seats at the front, he walks up uh, and starts teaching. And people are shocked. This is the little Jesus they'd seen growing up in the streets around them. Uh, and he's now standing there in front of them, giving this profound teaching. I mean, they must have known now something about Jesus as he was growing up. He never got into trouble. He always listened to his parents and his teachers. Um, yeah, they must have seen something different. We don't know much about Jesus' childhood, uh, but we do know he never sinned. Uh, and we have the one account where he goes off to the temple and, and interacts uh, with the teachers there in a way that uh, just uh, they don't, can't quite comprehend. And so you think those, lo- those locally would have seen something different. Um, and now the local boy's gone big. I mean, these rumors have started spreading uh, of the miracles that he's been doing, traveling around, teaching people about the kingdom of God being near. And now he's in their synagogue teaching them. And his teaching amazes them. Although I'm not convinced it's a positive amazement. Because rather than an amazement that leads you to want finding out more, like we perhaps get with when we're listening to an incredible news story, they just dismiss him more like he's fake news. Look, let's carry on where we left off in the middle of verse 2. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You can kind of imagine, can't you? They, they, they walked out, uh, one of them turning to the other and saying, yeah. Remember when he was just that little kid, cut his knee in the garden, tears pouring down his face? Now he's trying to say he's the king of kings. Come on. He can't really be taking that. And here's the thing. They've completely missed who Jesus is. Uh, Yes, of course, he's Mary's son. Uh, Yes, he was the carpenter. Perhaps he even made some of their furniture. But he's so much more than that. And that so much more is what's so important. Actually, Jesus hints at it in verse 4. Um, he responds with this saying that is actually in parallel in several Jewish and Greek literatures. Um, how being rejected by hometowns and uh, family was very common for the prophets. And that's not unusual. But I think actually there's a, there's a bigger hint here. A hint that looks forward to Jesus' ultimate and final rejection that he knows is going to come. We're remembering, weren't we, last weekend? Uh, And 
this here is only the beginning of the rejection that Jesus will face. Actually, it's interesting, isn't it, when you go through the Gospels, that those who should have known more are often the ones who are more vocal in their rejection of him. But it's actually rejection that leads to Jesus' ultimate mission. It's the rejection that leads to him dying on the cross and bringing salvation to his chosen people. It's in that the people are missing because they're not willing to see who he is. They're not willing to listen to him. All they can see is this little kid who grew up in the streets around them. Why should they pay attention to what he says? What makes him so important? And here's a danger I think we can all face at at times in different ways. We miss who Jesus is. Let me, there are many ways it could happen, but let me quickly give you three. Um, firstly, there's a danger of dismissal. Uh, you know, where did this man get these things? You, know, you never take time to look at who he really is. Put it in today's language. Jesus is so outdated and re- irrelevant. We don't need his teaching today. And there's plenty of people, maybe there's someone here tonight, who just dismiss Jesus without even taking time to investigate who he really is, who he claims to be, what he came to do. And we just think we don't need Jesus. There's also the danger of assumption. Uh, isn't this the carpenter? You know, we assume we know who Jesus is. Again, in a more modern way. Jesus is that guy who started Christianity. He's a good guy, interesting. But did he really exist? And if he did, why should I bother with him when he's so anti-sex, intolerant, and demands so much? Yeah, it's actually it's probably the view you get from most of the media, isn't it? But we know the problems of assumption in other areas of life. One writer writes this. Uh, assumptions are quick exits for lazy minds that like to graze out in the fields without bother. You know, assumptions don't give the full truth. They, they don't give proof of what's being said. And I think there's, you know, again, maybe there's some here tonight. We think we know who Jesus is. We assume we know who Jesus is, maybe from our RE lessons or the nativity plays we've seen. But unless we spend time actually exploring who Jesus is in his words, then we're going to begin assuming we know who he is, rather than finding out for ourselves. Uh, and then a third way... Uh, the danger of overfamiliarity, and I think probably in, with the people we've got here tonight, this is going to be our biggest danger. Because we spent years following Jesus, but have actually become complacent about thinking who he is. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Or put it another way, sure, I know Jesus. I've done for many years. He used to have amazing feelings whenever I was in church, worshipping him, but they stopped a while ago. I know Jesus is here, he's in the background, but there's not much more I'm going to learn about him now. Actually, maybe it's slightly more subtle. Maybe when you heard we were studying Mark's gospel, this term, you thought, oh, I've done that before. Don't need to know more about that. We've become over-familiar with who Jesus is. I know I've done it for times where I've taken Jesus for granted. And actually, 
we need to come back in, in all those cases and see who Jesus is. Seeing Jesus. See, Jesus shouldn't be like that neighbor that we see every day, maybe even give a wave to, but we never get to know. Jesus should be like that closest relationship that we have, where we want to get to know the other person better, knowing there's always more we can get to know and enjoy. So there are ways we can fall into the trap of Jesus' neighbours. And and actually, it's one of the reasons I'm really excited when we're studying Mark's Gospel this term. Because it's going to give us the chance to see Jesus, to get up close and see him again, uh, and to pull away from any of those uh, those traps we might be falling into. And if you do recognise any of those in yourselves, then keep coming back and seeing Jesus. I mean, you don't have to just limit to a Sunday, of course. Read your Bible any other day of the week. But keep coming back and let's together, let's commit together to seeing Jesus afresh. Being struck with awe and wonder at who he is. Because there is nothing more valuable than seeing him. Uh, And actually, there's a huge issue if we miss who Jesus is. Because it means we miss out on Jesus himself. I think that's the point of verse 5. And that we just had read. Let's read it again. Uh, He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and uh, heal them. You see, because these people in Jesus' hometown missed who Jesus was, they kind of uh, missed out on the Jesus experience, so to speak. Uh, They hear his teaching, but they don't get to see his amazing healing ministry. It's not that he wouldn't. He did do a few healings. Uh, but there was no point in him doing miracles there almost. And the point of Jesus' miracles was to show his identity. But these people have taken offense at that. So miracles aren't going to achieve their purpose. And Jesus isn't going to do pointless miracles. They, uh, he kind of always gives the impression that they're not going to believe even he did them. There's no signs of faith there. I mean, it's a huge contradiction to the previous chapter. If you flick back to uh, Mark chapter 5 and, how, and look through there, Jesus in that chapter has been expelling demons, healing the sick, uh, and raising the dead. As desperate people have come to him and put their faith in him, recognizing who he is and that he's able to meet their needs. Uh, and they've received this healing before, because of it. They've received Jesus as they put their faith in him. Now, just let me pause for a second and just make sure we're not, uh, you don't mishear me here. Because I'm not saying that the people in Mark 6 uh, didn't get healings because they didn't have enough faith. And, you know, you, you get people who say things like, uh, pray with true faith and God will heal you. And if you're not being healed, then maybe you're not paying with enough faith. But that's not what this passage is, is teaching. Um, after all, if you look back in Mark's gospel, Jesus calmed a storm when his disciples were scared and told them they have little faith. So it could be just as simple as these people hadn't approached Jesus to ask to be healed. If you look back actually over the healings um, that take place um, so far in Mark's gospel, there are people who have gone to Jesus. But I think the main reason is it's linked to this taking offense at him. That because they've rejected who he is, they're not going to get Jesus himself. 
See, Jesus was amazed at the lack of faith, faith in verse 6. That's an interesting parallel, isn't it, with the people's amazement in verse 2. And because they showed no signs of faith, no signs of that believing and repentance that Mark wants us to do, they miss out. And again, if we compare that to those in the previous chapter, they were people who knew what their need was. They were people who had the faith to turn to Jesus. And can I say we're people in a need too? Actually, Mark chapter 2 highlights it. It's a deeper need than a physical need. It's our problem of sin separating us from God's and eternal life. And Jesus has dealt with that need too. It's the whole reason he came down from heaven to earth, to die on a cross and to rise again. Jesus is salvation. And so if we miss who Jesus is, we miss out salvation. And not just that, It only takes a little faith to believe in Jesus. But it's faith that gives us uh, the biggest gain because it gives us that relationship with Jesus. As many here can testify, that's the best possible relationship. Uh, He gives us hope in times of trouble. He gives meaning to everyday life. He gives confidence in our future. There's a deep-rooted satisfaction and joy. And if we miss who Jesus is, then we're missing out on that amazing relationship with him. There's nothing better. Let's just flip this equation into the positive. Because seeing who Jesus is means gaining Jesus. And that's what our hope and prayer is for us all. That we would see who Jesus is and therefore gain him. Let me paraphrase one writer who says, uh, look at Jesus See his glory. Listen to him. Hear his word. Speak to him. Tell him your thoughts. Go to him. Have life. Get to know him. Taste his gift of joy and peace. See, as we see Jesus, then we enjoy everything there is about our relationship with Jesus. There is nothing better. There is nothing more valuable. There's nothing to be prized more in this world. There's no other way to be saved. There's no better way to live. And there's always more to be gained. There's always more we can know about him. The depths, the heights, The breadth, the length of God's love for us that's shown in Christ is never-ending. We have the joy and the privilege of being able to get to know this Jesus, to see him and to gain him personally. There is no better thing to do. So let's not let Jesus be the picture that's shoved down the back of the sofa. Let's get him out. Let's look at him. Because seeing who Jesus is means gaining him. And that's priceless. Shall we pray?
Lord, we thank you that you sent your son in the world. That he showed who he is, that he showed that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the son of God. Lord, we thank you for what he's done in dying on the cross, paying that penalty for sin, that he's defeated death and rise to new life, giving us all uh, that hope of eternal life. So, Lord, help us all to see Jesus. And, Lord, as we do that, may we gain him, gain that salvation, that relationship, and may it go deeper and stronger as we see more of who he is. Help us all this week to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, we pray. Amen.